Hello and welcome, all you Bible readers out there. Guess what? It's time to start our 2020 Bible reading program. Today is December the 31st, and tomorrow, January 1st, we'll start the new year, 2020. As we begin our journey of going through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as we read through it, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Revelation 22, verse 21. Now, this week's podcast is going to be a little bit different because we only have four weeks of reading to discuss today. That would be the readings for January 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, which is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we're going to be talking today about Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through Genesis 14, 16. So today's topics will be related to the beginning Um, the days of creation, all the way up through Abraham and Lot and their uh, relationship there in Genesis chapter 14. Now, what's normally going to happen when we start a new Bible book, um, for example, today we're going to be starting in the book of Genesis, I'll give you a little bit of information about Genesis, about some of the special features, um, what to look for, just a couple strategies maybe here and there to help you better read and better understand the book of Genesis as a whole. And I'll do that every time we get to a new Bible book. So when we get to Exodus, I'll do that. When we get to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so forth and so on. Now, as I read at different times from the Bible, I'm going to be reading from an NLT uh, most of the time. If I'm going to read from a different version, I will tell you. But I just like the way the NLT reads, especially in the Old Testament. It flows very well. No translation is perfect. All the translations that we have today in our English version have their caveats. Um, And if you ever want to know a little bit more about particular translations, a lot of times in the front of any Bible will have the translator's preface or the translator's philosophy. It talks about how they were translating certain books and their philosophy behind it, whether it was word for word or thought for thought. But I'm going to be using from NLT as a translation as we go through and talk about uh, the reading for this year. And again, if I say something different from another translation, I'll do my best to make sure you know I'm reading from a different translation. So let's get started with the book of Genesis. The first couple of things that um, I've highlighted here as we start with the book of Genesis, is the book of Genesis, the the main point of Genesis is beginnings, and I think we all understand that. Um, We can easily divide the book of Genesis into two sections. Okay, so the first 11 chapters is how God deals with mankind. And the last 39 chapters, which would be chapters 12 through 50, is God's dealings with the nation of Israel. And that's particularly four main characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, there are a lot of other characters in there, but those are your four main players as you look at the book of Genesis um, from a 30,000 feet perspective. So God's dealings with mankind cover that first 11 chapters, and then chapters 12 through 50 are focused on those four individuals. Now, if you stop and think a minute, that says something, because 39 chapters of Genesis is focused on four individuals. 
while only two chapters of Genesis is focused on creation and nine chapters of Genesis on the early history of mankind. You'd think that Genesis would be focused a lot on creation, but it's only given two small chapters. But there's 39 chapters focused on these four fellas, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So their stories and the narrative is is what Genesis is all about. Yes, I know that we have the creation story, the fall of mankind, things we're going to talk about today. But it's really focused on these four individuals because they are the ones that carry the story through the book of Genesis. Now, another interesting feature about Genesis is that Genesis is quoted some 60 times in the New Testament. In fact, in 17 different New Testament books. So it's quoted frequently in the New Testament, which, again, uh, that's a way of your New Testament authors giving historical accuracy to the actual existence of the events that happened in the book of Acts. Even Jesus, excuse me, in the book of Genesis, even Jesus uh, quoted at times from uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, A third interesting feature here is that Genesis is characterized with some supernatural events, or we might say supernaturalism in general. You know, creation, which was a supernatural event, miracles, the flood, theophanies, which are appearances of God in, in human form. You've got the angel of the Lord. So uh, you got a lot of these. you got, you got a chapter where Jacob wrestles with God. So God is directly involved with his creation. God is there on the spot, and when he needs to step in and do something, he does so. And so that's a unique feature in the book of Genesis that we see really come out. And then a fourth emphasis here um, on the book of Genesis is that Genesis, um, the main emphasis and the heavy emphasis of Genesis is on God's covenant with Abraham. And that happens in Genesis chapter 15, because it's through Abraham that he's going to bless all the nations of the world, not just through the nation of Israel or not just through all the Gentiles, but he's going to bless all the nations of the world through Abraham. And so that's why chapter 15, if you're going to choose an important chapter of all the book of Genesis, I'd probably choose chapter 15 because it's the chapter that has that Abrahamic covenant and all of what God deals and how all he deals with mankind kind of comes out of that one covenant in Genesis chapter 15. Now there's much more that we can talk about from the book of Genesis in general, but I just wanted to give you those three or four points just to kind of get you thinking about some of the important parts of Genesis and and just kind of the focus as a whole. But we've got to get to our reading today. And our reading for this week for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday covers Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 through Genesis 14 verse 16. So I'm just going to kind of walk through these chapters with you just to kind of point out a few things here and there as we go through them, just so you can get a better understanding of what you're going to be reading uh, as we start this new year. Well, in chapter 1 of Genesis, we come into contact with the days of creation. God, who is center stage here, is creating. And in fact, I believe 10 different times the word God appears up 
in Genesis chapter 1 as saying God is the one who created it. He is the one who did it. He is the one who did it. He is the one who did it ten different times. So it's trying to emphasize to us that God is the one that's creating. In fact, when we talk about God in comparison to other gods of the world, we often classify our God as the creator God because no other God creates like our God does. We can talk about how other gods might have powers or how other gods might be important, but there's no one else who can be a creator God. And so chapter one, we'll read through creation, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, all the days of creation are there. Then when you get to day six, if you've read through Genesis before, and I hope you have, you get to an important part, which is the creation of mankind. Because mankind is God's crowning creation. It is the most important part of his creation. And then after he creates mankind, we know that on day seven, God rested. But mankind is important, and mankind has developed more in chapters two and three as the Bible continues to talk about how man is distinguished as the most important part of God's entire creation because he's created in the image of God. And that's a big deal. An image is not an ability, but rather it's a status because we are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to image God, just like we are to image or reflect Christ in the very same way. And when God gave the mandate to Adam and Eve in the garden to reproduce and to multiply, essentially he was saying that you are to create more imagers um, in order to over, oversee the earth by being good stewards of it. Adam and Eve were supposed to create more imagers, create more human beings, have babies, reproduce and multiply. And so mankind is unique in the sense that he is created in the image of God. No one else is created in that fashion. God didn't create any animal in that fashion. He didn't even create the supernatural beings in that fashion. He only created mankind, which to me, that is a really, really big deal. And when he created mankind, he gave mankind some responsibilities in the Garden of Eden. He gave him the care of the animals and also to name them. So mankind has a unique, um, uh, unique leadership role, we might say, over all of creation. He is to steward it and he is to treat it with respect as God has created all things, but yet he is to have dominion over all of what God creates. Now, of course, as the story goes, after the creation of mankind, mankind falls. And Genesis chapter 3 is not the best part of mankind's history, but nonetheless it's here. And man's disobedience and consequences. If you're going to choose a title to chapter 3, that would be it. Man's disobedience and the consequences of it. Adam and Eve received clear instruction about the tree in the garden that they were not to eat. And the serpent comes along and he tempts Adam and Eve with the sin. It was a conscious choice for them. They knew that they weren't supposed to, but it was a conscious choice that they made. And because they made it, there's some consequences of sin. There was physical death. There's work would be hard and difficult, pain and childbearing. And ultimately, they would be expelled from the garden. But there's a promise that's there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. In fact, 
we scholars and Bible study students use the term proto-evangelium, which means proto is first and evangelium means the gospel. It's the first occurrence of the gospel. Because even though mankind messed things up with sin in the garden, in Genesis 3, verse 15, God set forth a promise, a promise that he would one day send a deliverer or a redeemer to fix it all. And it's the first time it shows up. So all the way in Genesis, after mankind messes up, God has already started or enacted a plan to redeem mankind. What a wonderful, wonderful thought here all the way in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Well, you get into Genesis 4, you get to the story of Cain and Abel. It's the first time that there's a murder that occurs in the Bible. And Abel brings the first fruits, the best of his harvest. Cain doesn't. And so God honors Abel's offering instead of Cain's. And Cain doesn't like it. Um, he gets angry and finds an opportunity to go after Abel and to kill Abel. And what's sad is that Already, in the, in the second generation of mankind, premeditated murder has entered the human race. Cain has already committed that. And Cain is cursed by God for his crime, but God extends some grace to Cain by marking him. And that's an interesting story as well. Then after you get out of chapter 4, you've got this little section here. Um, that talks about Adam and his descendants, chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 6, verse 10. And following the loss of Abel, Adam and Eve give birth to another son, and his name is Seth. And it was during the days of Seth's son, it says, that man began to turn to God. So, you know, with the fall, it wasn't like all of mankind was doomed and all of mankind weren't seeking after God and they were all were following after their own ways. No, there were several in this early time that we're still seeking after God. But the point of this little section, especially in chapter 5 of Genesis, this genealogy that you read, and you read the descendants of Adam, the point of it, and I encourage you to read it, remember we want to stay faithful, we got to read every word, no matter if it's genealogies or not, um, but the purpose of this genealogy here in chapter 5 is to connect for us the line of Seth with the line of Noah. Because it's the line of Seth through which the promise would come. It's also through the line of Noah with which the promise would come. The promise being Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer coming. And so that's really the point of this genealogy. It gives you some historical information and details. But in a narrative fashion, in a flow, it's meant to connect Seth with Noah. And of course, when we hear the word Noah, we automatically think of what? Of the flood. In chapters 6, 7, and most of 8, I believe, talk about Noah and his flood. Not his flood, but God's flood, but Noah and what he's supposed to do. And Noah builds an ark. He takes his family on the ark. Um, he's given specific dimensions. Um, and he's to build this ark. And the Bible says that Noah was 600 years old when the flood began. So, you know... Other texts in Scripture tell us it took him a little more than 100 years to build the ark. So, you know, he's 500 years old starting to build an ark. Can you imagine being 500 years old and starting to build something? I mean, I don't know about how longevity in the Old Testament affected a person. Usually the older a person is, the weaker they are. 
but maybe not necessarily so in the Bible times. But he was almost 500 years old or so when he began building. And in his 600th year old of Noah's life, the flood comes and the flood wipes out everything that God had created because sin had messed everything up. And so Noah and his family, his three sons, his wife and his son's daughters are on the ark with him. They're on the ark for a period of a little more than a year on a boat. That's a long time. We often don't think about what might also have been going on on that boat, the sounds, the smells, <laughs> um, the different things that are happening on a boat when you have hundreds of animals you're, you're, you're floating on the water with. So you can imagine and be creative with your imagination with all the sounds and the smells that might be on there. But after being in the water for more than a year, floating on the water in the ark for more than a year, they finally landed. And God starts a new beginning. Man's new beginning kind of starts there in chapter 8 as the flood subsides and it recedes. And the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the ark is not kiss the ground, as you and I might do, but the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the ark is that he sacrifices to God. He sets up an altar and makes a sacrifice to God. And at the same time, God had put a rainbow in the sky to promise that he would never, ever flood the earth again with water or never destroy the earth with water again. But the first thing he did was sacrifice because he knew how important that was. And Noah has his three sons there, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they begin to move out and they begin to repopulate the earth moving in different directions. At least that's what they were supposed to do. And they were supposed to move out, and they were supposed to go in those directions. But what happens? They don't necessarily do that. And you come into chapter 11 of Genesis, and we find the incident with the Tower of Babel. And instead of moving out and repopulating the earth, mankind stays in one place and builds a tower. And the Tower of Babel represents man's pride in human achievement apart from God. They didn't want God's help. They wanted to do it on their own. They wanted to have their own city altogether. The Bible says that God came down and confused the language of the people into many different languages for the sole purpose that they would follow his original instructions, that they would move out. And so he comes and interrupts the building project and causes them, by confounding their language, to move out and into other directions. And that's exactly what they do. Now you have a little bit of genealogy there in the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, and the purpose of this genealogy is to connect Shem with the first major player in the book of Genesis, which is Abraham. So the genealogy there, and again, make sure we read it word for word, um, is to connect the life of Shem with the life of Abraham, the one through whom the promise would come. And so that's the point of that little section there of connecting the dots for us. And so we get into the life of Abraham. We learn about his early call in chapter 12, how God promised him a great nation, a great name, a great blessing, a great land, and how Abraham begins to make his home in Canaan. And one of the first incidences that happen in Abraham's life is that Abraham has to go to Egypt for help because there's a famine in the land. You find that in chapter 12 and 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 coming back from Egypt is when the story of Abraham and Lot starts to come into the picture. In chapter 13, when they realize that they can't live together anymore because they're 
um, possessions are so great, and so they split. And so Abraham gives Lot a choice to go in one direction, and Lot goes in one direction, and Abraham goes in another direction. And so that leads us right up to around chapter 14, where the reading for this first week will end. And so that's your reading for this week. That covered Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's the first four days of this week. Again, because this week is a short week, we're only covering four days. And I'm trying to keep these podcasts to about 20 or 30 minutes in length. We don't want to go too far. But I do want to walk through some of this material with you so at least you know what you're reading. All right, so remember, enjoy your reading for this week. And if you have any questions about what you're reading or what you've read, please send those questions to BibleReading at LMBC.org. And if we get an opportunity and it's part of what we're talking about, we might be able to answer some of those questions through a podcast. Don't forget, pick up that Connect magazine. That Connect magazine on the back of it will have your Bible reading all worked out for the entire month. And you can always get the Bible reading on the app. If you've got it on your phone, the LNBC app on your phone, it will have the daily Bible reading there as well. So follow the schedule, and I will see you next time.